0: Welcome to the Grove Church podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. So I read something this week that suggested that there is one thing that people most often overlook you know what it is? They're noses. Yeah, some of you did. You, you got that, yeah. What, what do you call a nose with no body? Nobody knows. I told first service, that's as good as this gets, okay? Just, just, why all the nose talk, right? Why are we, why are we diving into to talking about noses? Well, we're continuing to look at Exodus 34, 6, where the Lord himself, God himself, reveals his character. He wants us to know, who is he? He says, I'm the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Right smack dab, kind of like a, a pivot upon which everything revolves, is this Statement that he is slow to anger. And if you were to hear that, if you were a, uh, you know, if you were a Hebrew of uh, back in that, that time and you're hearing this spoken, then, then an image is created in your mind because what God has just done is he's used a word to describe himself that is, is a, a Hebrew word play, this kind of image. And, and what he's saying about himself is literally that I am long of nose or long of nostrils, okay? which is kind of, a, I mean, it's a funny thing, right? It's, it's interesting. You think about it. God is describing himself as long of nose, and that's to mean positively that he is slow to anger. But, you know, when we think about a long nose today, we tend to go negative. Right, you think about Pinocchio. You guys know Pinocchio, right? And we, here we associate a long nose with deception, with lying. Pinocchio's nose gets longer and longer as he tells untruth. Maybe you think of uh, a witch, right? The wicked witch and and her long, pointy nose. That's what we tend to. So again, now we're we're even connecting a long nose with evil. A a few months ago, I was with a a team from the Grove. We traveled to visit our friends who actually are going to be here in a couple weeks uh, with us, but visit our friends who are missionaries uh, in Istanbul. And uh, we were walking around, and daily, just on, on the regular, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing people, mostly women, because um, the men, their situation was that they all had had hair plugs, um, but women who had, uh, had just had nose jobs, okay? Because, and they're just everywhere. I mean, literally, every single day, we're seeing a woman walking around the streets who's just had a nose job. I don't have that experience walking around Gladstone, or even downtown Kansas City, but it was happening all the time. Because Istanbul is a hub for plastic surgery. Because in our distorted standards of beauty, people flock there for shorter, smaller noses. Right? We, we tend to associate a long nose with something at the very least negative. It's, it's not positive. And yet God is describing himself as one who has a long nose. And so today, as we continue to look at the character of God in Exodus 34, specifically verse 6, we want to make sure we understand what we mean when we talk about God's anger. It says he's slow to anger, not that he has no anger. So what do we mean when we talk about God's anger? And we want to see why his long nose is such a good thing for us. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let's pray together and then we'll dive in. Father, we do indeed thank you that you desire to know us and you have given us your word to reveal yourself to us in a way that we can understand. And you intend for us to understand it, but we need your help to do that as well. And so we ask for your help now. Guide us and make us a people who don't just hear your word, but are inclined and empowered to do it. We ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, let's talk about anger. And I want you to to recognize, I think we all know this, but not all anger is created equal. First thing, let's just recognize that not all anger is created equal. Think about yourself. Why do you get angry? Who, me? What? No, why, why do you get angry? I would say, I mean, again, you, you know, there's going to be a lot of different reasons. Lots of things maybe pop to mind as you hear about that. But, but broadly, we get angry because we have expectations and those expectations go unmet. Right? You want something to be a certain way. It doesn't go that way. And anger tends to come out of that. And here's the deal. Sometimes those expectations are completely unreasonable or just, just are, are not what they should be. But some expectations are good and right. And so, again, not all anger is created equal. The crew at, at Bible Project create all kinds of videos helping people understand the Bible. They, they very helpfully summarize two important ideas associated with the emotion of anger in our culture, right? One is positive and one is negative. So the positive, we, we can think of anger as protection. And that, that's sometimes the way anger shows up. Positively, it's as protection. Anger is a physical response that our bodies generate when something we value is threatened or compromised or lost. And the thing is, some things we value are truly valuable. And they—they—and so when those things are threatened or compromised or lost, there's a good reason to be angry about that. And there's almost always a deeper feeling or value at stake that generates that angry response. I'll, I'll give you an example. This week, I was reading an article and, and uh, or came across an article that was describing, it was saying that, that the owners of Pornhub okay, had had actually come out and said full like no no doubt about it this is their intent that they they actually targeted they they that they are targeting their users to get them hooked on increasingly deviant content that is their intent they they no denying it that's they're just blatant that's what we're setting out to do okay now as much as I'm going to say there, except to say that that caused me a, an angered response. Okay, I mean, not like anger rose up because I know the devastation that that's creating. and It's widespread and it's evil and it's manipulative and, and just wrong. So there's anger as protection. Something is threatened that's good and you go, hey, we need to do something about that. And so sometimes you have that kind of anger. There's another kind of anger, and that's, you could broadly say, is anger as abuse. What we tend to think about anger is, is as a sign of losing self-control. We get angry, and, and we sort of get outside of ourselves. We're, the anger is controlling us. We don't have control of it. And when it's expressed specifically by someone in a position of power, right, when you have some kind of responsibility, stewardship of, that, that has some power, That anger then can be used to bully and threaten and intimidate people into doing things that you want them to do. It's the wrong kind of expression of evil, of of anger. Again, that is evil. It's it's wrong. That's not what we mean by good anger. And I'll give you an example there. The, The likelihood, and I don't know, I'm not saying I know something, okay, this is not like personal knowledge, but I'll just say statistically, when I just talked about the anger that was righteous earlier and brought up the topic that I brought up. For some of you, you began to get angry. You didn't express it. You had enough control not to do that, but you began to get angry because you don't want that talked about. And so there may be a time when somebody else would talk about it, bring it up to you, try to help you out. And, and then your response is, To want to express anger in order to shut that down. Because that's your business. It's nobody else's business. See, anger, it's not all created equal. And it can go a lot of different ways. Some very helpful, others absolutely destructive. And this is the thing. As humans, our anger tends to be partial and rash. We We can express righteous anger. But ours tends to be partial and rash. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine says a patient person, that's, that's on the flip side of anger is patience. A patient person shows great understanding. So we can be patient people and show understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. This is the problem. We tend to get, when we're talking anger, we tend to get into this kind of foolishness. We let our anger control us. We let our desires control us, and the result is increasing foolishness. Our anger tends to be short-term and and self-protective. But God's is very different. See, God's is just and measured. God's anger is just and measured. It's, It's that protective, rightly protective kind of anger. But make no mistake, God does get angry. In fact, he's revealing himself here in part in response to a time when he is rightfully angry. You see, just a little bit before he passes before Moses and reveals himself the way he does in Exodus 34, he's just given his people the Ten Commandments, which were meant to be a way for them to know him and walk with him as his people. And right after that, they proceed to break at least three of those commandments in this wild party because they're overwhelmed by his glory and might and frustrated by the way he's doing things. And so he responds to this. We're we're told in Exodus 32. He comes to Moses and and he says to Moses, I've seen this people and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. There's there's God's response to the wickedness that his people are, are in the midst of. And what he describes himself, he says, my anger needs to burn. There's there's something wrong here that needs to be addressed. Literally, the word here is hot nose. He's saying, look, my nose is hot because of them. We say it today. We say our nose gets bent out of shape. We we use similar kinds of images to describe somebody who's, who's upset. God says, look, my nose is burning hot because what's just gone on is wrong. But know this, okay, and and if you just stop here, if all you were to read was Exodus 32, 9 to 10, and some people do this, they just come to that and they go, look, this mean and vindictive God who just is angry all the time. And and that's their entire view of who God is. Not paying any attention to anything else that's going on. Frankly, not even paying attention to everything he just said in those verses. They get this wrong view. But, But God is not a victim of his anger. You and I, again, we tend to be led around by our anger. We think of ourselves as victims of our anger. I was just so mad. I had to do something. And, and we think we, we just have no choice. We lack self-control. But, but God is not like that. He, his anger has the long-term good of others in mind. In fact, he says about himself, Isaiah 54 verse 7, describing how he's dealt with his people and will we'll deal with them. He says, I deserted you for a brief moment but I will take you back with abundant compassion. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but I will have compassion on you with everlasting love, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the water of Noah would never flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. You see, his anger is there. There, there's, There's a need to address the things that are wrong, but it is swallowed in this greater reality of his compassion. And furthermore, what he describes here is promises and covenants And what he's saying is I've made agreements to deal with you regardless of how you deal with me. And so we need this broader view to understand God's anger has its place. And God's anger is good and right. It's just and measured. Whereas ours tends to be something else. This word short, uh, that, that he is, is slow to anger. He has a, a long nose. It gets translated way back as long-suffering. So the, the King James Version describes him as merciful and gracious, long-suffering. And I want to use that, that imagery, okay? Again, he is slow to anger, but, but literally he is long-suffering, He he suffers something. I want to use that imagery and help you understand what does it mean that God has a long nose, okay? So Yahweh is the long-suffering God and a reminder who wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. And so he's revealing himself so that we can know him. He's showing us his character so that we can know him. And that has everything to do with how we understand what it means that he is slow to anger, that he is the God with the long nose. And so four things I want you to understand about God's long suffering. One, he suffers from us. We have to understand this. God has put himself in a spot where he suffers from us. He creates us, intending that we would enjoy him and we rebel. That's the story of humanity, that all of us are a part of that. And so you turn to, you can turn all kinds of places in the scriptures, but Romans 1, specifically verses 16 to 32, is this summary of humanity's problem with God. And further, God's problem with humanity. So Romans 1, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a, a little glimpse of what it tells us about who we are as humans. Romans 1.18, God's wrath, another word for his anger, is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we do. We, we've been given access to understand the truth, but we suppress it. God reveals himself to us. He wants us to know him, but, but we, we like going for something else. We're attracted and enticed by something that is derivative, something that is, that, that is a cheap imitation. And so we're told later, Romans 125, talking about humans, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is raised, praised forever. This is what we do. There's, there's this truth exchange that t- takes place. We, we're p- presented with the truth Instead, we we succumb to this idea that things that are these cheap imitations will be better for us. And this is exactly who the enemy Satan is. He's just a cheap imitation artist. He he presents these ideas of something that's going to be better, but it's just a cheap imitation. And and here's the thing to know. Everything that, that Satan does is all, again, derivative. He can't do anything original. All he does is present us with cheap imitations of the real, true things. And we end up chasing those things, suppressing what is true and chasing what is false. This is the plight of all of us. And God has endured that. When he says he's long-suffering, he's not just talking about something outside of us. He's talking about us. If you don't recognize that, then you can't appreciate what it means for him to be slow to anger. But here's the thing, you and I, when we suffer as a result of somebody, and, and I will say even rightly in a lot of ways, our temptation or our, our natural thing is to want to separate. Right? If Somebody's causing you suffering, and again, a lot of times this is the right thing to do because we're, we're limited in our resources and abilities. Somebody's causing you suffering, you go, okay, I got to get away from that. that that's, again, that's generally a good thing. But God's different, which is, leads us to the second thing, is that, that not only does he suffer from us, but he also suffers with us. Where our tendency is to remove ourselves from those that cause us suffering, God moves towards us. He suffers with us. And there's no, I mean, the, the final, ultimate greatest expression of that truth is in Christmas. It's in the fact that Jesus has come. He's God incarnate, fully God, but fully man, having come to know what it is to be human and to suffer with us. Hebrews 2.18 tells us he himself has suffered when he was tempted. Since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. He knows what it's like. And so we're told in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is the high priest, but he knows how to sympathize. One who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has walked through every kind of temptation that you and I would face. Now, did he have to figure out how to get on his computer? No, (laughs) He didn't have a computer, but has he faced the exact same temptations that we, you and I, find when we're on our computers or in anything we deal with? Yes, he has suffered with us. And he knows what it's like, which means you can come to him and know that he's not sitting there wondering, man, I don't know what's wrong with you. This this seems pretty easy to me. He knows what it's like to go through what you're going through. He can relate. But here's the thing, too. You know, suffering with someone can be really helpful. But if you're suffering and there's no hope beyond that suffering, what's interesting is that having somebody come and join you in your suffering doesn't actually relieve the suffering. It can make it worse. Right? Because now it's it's not just that I had to suffer. It's that my suffering caused them to suffer and we're both just doing nothing but suffering. There's no hope in that. There's no no rest or comfort in that. Which leads to the third thing about our long-suffering God. He doesn't just suffer with us. He actually suffers for us. He suffers for us so that suffering won't have the last word. We'll get to that in a second. Matthew 26, verse 39 tells us, Exactly the kind of suffering that he was, that Jesus endured. The night before he's to be crucified, he knows what's coming. And he's, the weight of that is just almost too much to bear. Now make no mistake, Scripture says that Jesus wasn't just the victim of an unfortunate accident, a tragic accident. Oh, misidentity, oops, you got the wrong guy, oops, oops. We didn't mean to take it this far. No, what scripture says is Jesus laid down his life. But no, but also the weight of of laying down his life is heavy. And so he, he turns to the father that night before. It says that he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, why didn't he just say, my Father, if it's possible, let something else besides me going to the cross happen. I mean, that's, that's what he means, right? Yeah. But he describes it as this cup. And when you look at the scriptures, when, when this reference to a cup, when a, when a reference to a cup is made, it's a reference to the cup of God's wrath. It's a reference, it's an, again an image of this vessel into which... All of mankind's sin, all of the things that have caused God to suffer are are poured, all the reasons for his righteous anger are all poured into this vessel. And what Jesus says is, God, I know that tomorrow what I will bear is that cup, the cup of humanity's sin and the righteous anger that is to be poured out as a result of it. He goes to the cross knowing he would drink drink the cup of God's wrath, and he did. So 1 Corinthians 15, I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. He suffered for us according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He died for us. He suffered for us. But that doesn't have the final word, which is why his suffering with us means something. We didn't just bring God into our suffering just to make him have to suffer and us all suffer and there'd be no hope for anything. No, he suffered for us to bring us hope. Bring us the hope that suffering is coming to an end. And so we're told Revelation 21 I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. You can take them to the bank. Suffering will end. You see, he suffered with us, and he suffered for us, but he suffers temporarily. Suffering will come to an end. You say, yes, I'm excited. That, that makes me happy to no. know. But then why? Why suffer at all? I mean, he's one. Why are we suffering? Why do I have to keep going through this stuff? Why do I have to keep enduring what is hard? And what I know God doesn't think is good, so why? Sometimes it seems like God's nose is just too long. So Peter tells us, dear friends, Don't overlook this one fact. He's writing to a group of Christians who are being mocked for their hope, for expecting that God is going to make things right. He says, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You guys know anything about sloths? You guys know this guy? Flash Slothmore. I love this picture because it has this coffee cup, right? He says, you want it when? <laughs> and he works in the DMV, right? That's it's perfect. Here, here's a real sloth, right? This is a great picture, right? That's what we think of. You think of sloths, right? They're just, they're just kicking back. They're just lounging around, Right, so most of us, sloths, it's a hard word to say, sloths symbolize laziness. But but actually, I was reading about sloths this week. Uh, Here's what one scientist sloth person says, okay? (laughs) Sloths are actually energy-saving mammals taking life at a slow pace to avoid the rush and tumble for food while subscribing the movement patterns that help them avoid being identified as prey. Now, I don't know why not all of the mammals out there are sloth-like. I, I don't know. God's got his purposes. He makes a lot of things. But these guys, they've got a reason. And just because their slowness doesn't make sense to human logic, doesn't mean it's bad. And in the same way, God's slowness to anger and vengeance doesn't, oftentimes, doesn't make sense to our human timelines or logic. But just as slowness serves an important purpose for sloths, it also serves an important purpose in our relationship to God. Friends, God's long nose is meant to lead you to repentance. You follow that nose to repentance. God's anger is just and measured. Betrayal of our creator and the goodness that he desires for us and from us must be addressed. If he doesn't address that, he's not good. But God is slow to anger, which means that God will put up with people's betrayal for much longer than is reasonable. And it also means that God will always accept people who turn to him with soft hearts and genuine humility no matter what they've done. You can count on him. You can trust him. Again, his slow to angerness flows out of his compassion and grace. So what does that mean? Well, first off, don't take his patience for granted. Just don't take it for granted. Uh, Now, you can trust it, Trust his patience with you, but don't presume upon it. Don't be that person that says, you know what, yeah, someday, okay, fine. God's okay without me for now. No, he's slow to anger. He loves you. He doesn't want you living in the muck anymore. He's calling you out of that. His kindness to you is intended to lead you to repentance. Furthermore, you say, yeah, I believe that. I trust that. Man, I'm angry. For some of you, man, getting here was reason for anger. Maybe your Saturday was spent with anger. For some of you, this afternoon is not just, you know, a fun escapade and watching some guys play football It's going to be this, like, object of intense anger. Take your anger to the Lord. If you understand, like, he is slow to anger, which means, one, he, he knows that there are things to be angry about. But he's also patient, which means you can actually come to him When your anger is disordered and not what it should be. And then you can trust him to reorder it, to put it back in place, to help you not be a victim to your anger and instead have the self-control that he intends for you to have. So this is essentially what we're, I mean, one way we could talk about it, when you, when you turn to, to God, either for the very first time or, or, as you walk with him day by day, walking in repentance, realizing he's, in the, over the course of your life, he's just bringing you in line with his ways and what is really good. As you walk with him, really what we're doing is just seeking him for a nose job. We're just asking him to, to reshape our noses. Let his patience with you lead to patience with others it changes your perspective changes how you see this how you approach it let his patience with you lead to patience with others how do you and i have hope for all eternity the answer is only god knows <laughs> don't overlook him let's pray father We do thank you. You are gracious and compassionate. You're the God with the long nose who is so good, so kind to us. Help us to learn to be patient as you've been patient. God, rescue us from our anger. God, I pray if there's anybody who is just really feels like they're sinking in the throes of sin, that they would recognize that you are the great rescuer. There really is hope to be forever changed and made new. God, we pray for your guidance as a people that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us and join us again next week for another podcast from the Grove Church. Have a great day.